KCSU Stanford 90.0 FM. This is the Arabology Show and a very special edition of the Arabology Show coming to you from KCSU Stanford 90.1 FM. This uh, episode of Arabology is actually dedicated to the anniversary, the second anniversary of the Egyptian Revolution. And so we'll be listening to music that fueled the revolution. And I have with me a very special guest uh, today who will be with me throughout the show. And uh, I can't wait for you guys to meet him and to uh, get to know him. You want to find out his name? Stay tuned for after the break. And uh, we will begin with a very revolutionary song coming into you from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. KCSU Stanford 90.1 FM, and it's high time that I welcomed into the studio a guest like no other and probably one of the best experts to have on today's Arabology show, since he is very involved, was very involved, and is still very involved in the process of the Egyptian Revolution. Assalamu alaikum, ya Khalid Sayyid. Hi, thank you for having me. Shukran. Uh, so is it your first time here at Stanford, Khaled? That is correct, yes. That's my first time here. So I guess I should ask you about your first impressions so far. Oh, the campus is absolutely beautiful. It's really nice. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here at uh, KCSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. And what an amazing uh, timing we had connecting you and I uh, r- right before the second anniversary to the Egyptian Revolution. Uh, could it be two years have gone by already? I can't believe it. Yes, yes, it, it is two years. I mean, uh, tomorrow in Egypt, they will be on Friday. Um, celebrating in Tahrir Square is the second anniversary of the continuing revolution to change Egypt from what it is right now to a democratic 
um, country, inshallah. Uh, so Khalid, you are, well, it's very difficult to kind of say who Khalid Sayyid is because we were trying, I was trying to ask him, well, what are you? And he said, I am so many things and I wear so many hats. But you are very well known as being the director of the first award-winning documentary about the 2011 Egyptian revolution. And that was the documentary behind the revolution. Uh, I'm sure uh, people have heard about this, but it's won several awards and uh, and uh, really is, is the first documented documentary about the Egyptian revolution. Well, I, I do work fast. Uh, there is many other uh, documentary out there. Uh, one I remember is uh, 18 Days, which is a really good movie. Uh, but the one I did, uh, it was a completely independent, self-funded and I worked on it from beginning to end. It took me around uh, three weeks in Egypt to to talk to activists who actually participated in a revolution and then came home in San Francisco, put the movie together in within three months, and I put it out there in film festivals, wow. and uh, you can actually watch it on uh, my website, really? uh, yeah, behindtherevolution.com. BehindTheRevolution.com, wow. And so, Khaled, in your involvement in this film, you are the director. Are you also the editor? And uh, the, I mean, because I know you, you also have a lot of editing experience, not just directing. Yes, yes. I edited the film. I put it together because, uh, as I said, it's uh, self-funded. And when the revolution happened, it was a surprise to everybody, really. Uh, so I just grabbed my equipment, and I went down there, and through connection and Facebook, uh, relationship with people in Egypt, I managed to meet with a lot of activists who participated um, in the revolution to give me their side of the story, what really happened and what went on, and this movie specifically about the revolution. And 10 months later, I, I went to, to Egypt again in 2011 mm -hmm. uh, during the parliament uh, election uh, to, to, to document what happened after a big event like a revolution. Right. Um, so, uh, and that's the stories from Tahrir, and that's all about post-revolution, what happened, what kind of struggles activists actually facing after a revolution. So, Stories from Tahrir is actually the second documentary then that you have uh, directed? Th that is correct, yes. Right. And, and uh, the first one, again, is Behind the Revolution. Now, this is the one that it was so timely. I mean, you were there during the revolution. Most of us, you know, Arab Americans uh, watched it on TV and through satellite television, even Middle Eastern satellite television, but you were actually on the ground. And uh, I believe you got there in March of uh, 2000. 11? Well, I, I hope I was there like right uh, when it happened, but as I said, it was a surprise to everybody, and after uh, the first week, uh, the border was closed, and they were trying to get, uh, you know, get out all the foreigner and everybody, and a lot of airline canceled all uh, their flights, so I went right after, and it was a really good timing because people were really, really tired, but they were uh, ready to talk about their experience and they're taking a breather to kind of like, oh my God, that actually happened and we were part of it and it was such an amazing experience. So this is after Mubarak fell? Yes. Yeah. So the revolution itself is commemorated on January 25th. 25th, that's the first day, uh, the day where the police... Uh, 
the police day we call it the police day because the uh, police they have like a, a day off or something that's how it started yeah. they wanted to go out on the street where there is not much police but uh, as we saw on the news and all other uh, footage on YouTube um, the police were uh, all the activists and um, demonstrator uh, faced a lot of brutal force from the police and everybody else was, you know, on the Mubarak side. Right. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about, Khaled, is uh, the fact that you were there. It's an exciting time. It's a historical time, but it's also quite a scary time because nobody really knew where this was going to lead. Frankly, I think you'll agree with me if I say we still don't know where this is going exactly because this hasn't ended the revolution. But I'll let you speak about that in a second. But how did you feel about, you know, I mean, were you afraid or did you feel you were in danger? Was it, uh, uh, you know, sort of an, an insecure time for you? Um, actually, it was it was a really nice time. Uh, although I got arrested like three times. Wow! Uh, and, uh, doing the first film, doing the first film. Um, you see, I, I was walking down in Tahrir Square and filming B-rolls and stuff and uh, next to Maglis al uh, which is a street where the parliament is and also like a big building of the government is. Right. Uh, there was a big protest, but the uh, protest was a, a kind of segment of the society, like the handicapped were, were protesting about their right, the uh, farmer, this and this, so it wasn't like in a revolution where everybody went on the street just with one thing in mind to remove uh, the system right. or the regime. Uh, so I went in and I started talking to people, and uh, interesting enough, there was no um, media coverage at all. Um, so I was the only one with a camera in the street. Everybody wanted to talk to me, and the military did not like that. So they warned me, and I said, okay, well, I will leave. Just, you know, give me a second. I'm talking to this guy. And then within five seconds, I was arrested. Uh, I went in, and uh, um, they took me in um, to the parliament, and I was interrogated for like six or seven hours. So, so they were afraid. Now we're talking about this is what the police or the there was the military at the time. The police was nowhere to be found, really, and it's still up to now. A lot of the police are not on the street doing, you know, doing their work. Um, that's why, like later on, I'll tell you what the situation, security situation in Egypt right now, which is really bad. Uh, but it was a military. Uh, Bus Mubarak uh, resigning. It was a military taking over, and and uh, they didn't want you to film or document what was going on because they were afraid of what. Well, you see, they never really told me what they were feeling or thinking. They were just interested in like what is what am I doing there? Why am I there? I have an American passport. Mm-hmm. I speak. Arabic was like a little accent. Yeah, I discovered I have an accent in Arabic too. Um, so it was just like really puzzling. And uh, they just keep asking me like, well, what are you doing? Why are you here? Um, and I have like a little DSLR camera. They didn't understand how to kind of work with it at the time. Why did they wanted to look at the footage that you'd already filmed? Yeah, but I did swap the, the card. So I was oh, clever. Oh, you heard it right here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Right here on KZSU Stanford, 94.1 FM. My guest is uh, Khaled Sayed, uh, an amazing young man and uh, a director, uh, as well as an award-winning, uh, well, editor, director 
for the film Behind the Revolution. That was his first documentary, and it is uh, really the first award-winning documentary about the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. Uh, Khaled also has a second documentary that we'll be talking about later. But at this point, we are, what, around March, April uh, 2011. Mubarak has fallen at this point. You are there as, uh, well, an Egyptian-American director, and uh, and you have been um, arrested by the, uh, by the military. By the military, who at this point were not pro Mubarak. Uh, obviously, they they had succumbed to the idea that Mubarak is gone. Well, that's what we thought. That's what we thought. We thought they actually sided uh, with the people, and they were. Uh, for Mubarak to leave, uh, or, you know, support the idea of Mubarak to leave power. But the thing is, uh, 10 months later, um, I went back again to see, the, uh, to, to witness and document uh, the parliament election, which was happening in November 2011. And during every single month uh, after the revolution, after the initial revolution, I have to make sure to say that because the revolution is still, you know, still going on. Uh, there was a lot of clashes between uh, police forces, security forces, and the military. But in November 2011, during Mohammed Mahmoud clashes, uh, for the first time, everybody in Egypt realized that uh, the military are on the side of uh, a dictatorship, not the people, right. not democracy, because they did attack protesters, peaceful protesters on the street. And they did, um, I, I think like in March, we discovered that they're doing a lot of uh, military trial, mm -hmm. over like 1,200 people, activists. Uh, one of the girls, she actually went through military trial for a tweet. Wow, she just for sending a tweet. She sent a tweet against uh, Marshal Tantawi. Uh, at the time, he was the head of the SCAF, which is the Security Council of the Armed Force. And she was arrested, and she put through the trial. Um, there is blogger went through military trial. And the big question was, like, why is a civilian going through military trial? Right. And at the time, Mubarak was free at his home, I'm, I'm saying in March. Um, and he wasn't subjected to any military trial or even civilian uh, trial. Right. We waited all the way till August, till his trial started. Right. And by August, the military had sort of ch shifted in terms of their loyalty to uh, the Mubarak system, or is that something that's too simplistic? I, I think that's simple to say, but, I mean, uh, there is always this deal being... Um, Excuse me. Uh, this deal being cut uh, behind um, closed doors that a lot of Egyptians don't know anything about it. Um, so, like, I, I can't sit here and say, yes, there was a deal between Mubarak and the military, but uh, if you look at it, obviously there was some kind of a deal. Mubarak was uh, the, their best ally. I mean, he was from the military, and everybody uh, in the military on the Security Council of the Armed Force were served next to Mubarak or was a really close friend to Mubarak. Wow. We're getting this as a, 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 I mean, a lot of the information is new to us here. Uh, and uh, But we're getting this account from, it's an eyewitness account, isn't it, Khaled? I mean, you saw the military, um, you know, arresting people. You got arrested yourself. And, uh, and yet you weren't afraid to continue. I mean, uh, they let you go eventually. 
Uh, yes, uh, as they say, flattery uh, can take you everywhere. So there was some uh, um, some officer there. He speak really broken English, and I was just like, oh wow, your English is very good. And I started talking to him, and after a while, I was like, okay, well, you know, uh, I guess he kind of like decided I'm harmless. There is nothing. Uh, you know, to gain of having me there, so he just let me go, and it's like, you know, don't don't do that again. Uh, don't like, don't okay. film again. Don't film again. Don't wow. film again. I'm but, like, okay, fine. But you, you, they didn't, you know, confiscate your camera or anything. You actually were able to leave with your camera. I, I left with my camera. I was th- that was like the scariest part because that was the only camera I had wow. there, and as I said, it's self-funded, so I didn't have any extra money if they took the camera from me. It would have been like completely disaster. So anyway, after that, I you know I, I continue filming for uh, through the duration of my stay in in Marsh. Um, put the film together, put it through a film festival, and the film being shown all around the world. Yeah. So because the film was was filmed between March 2011 in March to, to April, March April, yeah. and by November. Uh, of that year, it was already in film festival by June. By June, wow! You really worked quickly at the editing. Now I'm saying that because I saw uh, many clips from the film, and it is very well edited. Thank you. Um, it it looks. I mean, you tell me, you know, that you it's self financed, but it, it looks really like a, a, a very we say film yani. It it looks like there was quite a bit of uh, production and uh, and uh, perhaps money. Uh, uh, spent on it. I'm really, really impressed with the fact that this was a self-finance project. Welcome to the digital age. Amazing. <laughs> How did this? Uh, uh, did you expect the film to actually uh, achieve the kind of success and earn the awards that it did? Uh, the most important thing for me to to uh, it was to hear the story from this activist and put the film out to the American public here to to see these guys. They were behind a revolution that actually rocked the whole world. They made the world stand still and watch for 18 days. Where is that going to go? For me, that was, like, good enough. Um, anything else after that? that right. uh, we should uh, tell our listeners that the film is actually in Arabic because um, most people are expressing no, Egypt, themselves. In, Egypt, uh, Egypt, the story behind the revolution, 90% of it, uh, the activists spoke in English. In English. So and I have, like, 10% of it in Arabic. In Arabic. Uh, the second film, uh, because I was in the middle of, like, clashes and stuff, and a lot of activists, they felt the need to actually talk in Arabic to be more expressive. And that was a really good idea. I think it was a really good idea. So the second film have a subtitle right. in English and Arabic because they have like people speaking English and Arabic as well. But it's uh, it's completely flipped. It's like 85% or 80% of it in Arabic. I'm talking about uh, stories from Tahrir. But uh, be, uh, Egypt, the story behind the revolution, mostly in English. In English, but then those parts in Arabic were subtitled? For, uh, uh, it was voiceover. Voice because over. they were really small and I wanted to people follow what is going on in the action of the film. Um, uh, I thought it was a lot easier to just for people to, 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 to listen and watch instead of bothering with like 
reading the subtitle. Right. Khaled Sayed, we, uh, I, uh, I'm so delighted and uh, fascinated to speak with you today. We are, uh, well, we're, we are going back in time to uh, March, April 2011 when you were filming your documentary uh, titled uh, Egypt, uh, the story behind the revolution. Right. And, uh, and at that time you were interviewing the people in the streets. And I'd like to stay at that moment when we come back and uh, maybe talk to you and ask you about how, about how eager people were to speak to you. Was there a sense of paranoia and fear or were people uh, actually excited to speak to you about this? As well as maybe your own feelings as you were filming these historical moments, uh, knowing that, uh, you know, anything could happen. So right after this break, I'm going to be back with Khaled Sayed, the director of the first award-winning documentary about the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. He's right here, live in the studio, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, he'll be talking to us about his uh, film uh, career as well as many other aspects of the Egyptian Revolution. In the meantime, let's take a little break, after which we're going to go to Dunya Masoud. Khaled, have you heard of Dunya Masoud? Uh, no, but I would love to hear I it. think you're going to love this uh, young lady. She has a CD called Mahattat Masr, which is the station of uh, Egypt. And uh, and so uh, she kind of thinks the shabby music with a revolutionary flair. Oh, beautiful. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, my guest again is Khalid Sayed right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Everyone deserves equal access to housing. Discrimination in housing based on your race, national origin, disability, age, marital status, sexual orientation, or because you have children is illegal. Reporting discrimination is the first step toward ending discrimination. To report housing discrimination, please call ECHO Housing. Fair housing counselors will inform you of your rights and help you take action. Call ECHO at 510-581-9380. That's 510-581-9380. Jenny's Light is an organization dedicated to improving and saving lives by increasing the awareness of all perinatal disorders, including postpartum depression. Jenny's Light provides a variety of resources and support from online guidelines on obtaining help to working to pass legislation that will make it easier for new mothers to obtain treatment. If you'd like to donate to Jenny's Light, please visit www.jennyslight.org. That's www.jennyslight.org.
was a Palestinian singer named, named Reem Benna, and from her brand new album titled Revelation of Ecstasy and Rebellion, we heard a track called The Absent One, in Arabic, Al-Ghaib. Uh, if you like this uh, song, then uh, definitely check out her brand new album. She is uh, part of the Arab Spring soundtrack, so to speak, and uh, as such uh, has a well-deserved and well-respected place within, uh, well, what I'm going to call uh, revolutionary Arabic music. Before that, we heard from an Egyptian young lady who has made it her mission to go all around Egypt and collect folkloric songs and re-record them for a new generation. Her name was Dunya Masoud, and from her album Mahatat Masr, we heard a song uh, called uh, al uh, al uh, uh, my guest today on the Arabology Show, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't been, if you weren't listening to the fr- first part of the show, is none other than Khalid Sayyid, director of the first award-winning documentary about the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. The title is Egypt Behind the Revolution, Khalid? Egypt, the story behind the revolution. Egypt, the story behind the revolution. And you uh, told us that it's actually available on online? Yes, on IndieFlix. You can actually stream it, and soon it will be on Amazon.com. And you, and also on your own website? Yes, BehindTheRevolution.com. You can actually find all the information about uh, streaming the film, uh, where to get the film, or get in touch with me to do private screening. And uh, also information about you and your own background in filmmaking, etc. Yes, uh, everything out there. It's the internet, uh, digital age. <laughs> uh, so behindtherevolution.com. Khaled, um, before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know filming this uh, documentary back in uh, March of 2011. Uh, you had arrived to Egypt at a very exciting time. Uh, and despite some obstacles, you were able to actually film people in the streets uh, speaking about uh, their feelings towards uh, the fall of the Mubarak regime at the time. How reluctant were people uh, during that time to speak with you? It really depends. Uh, a lot of the activists, they were really excited to, to, to share their story and document what they went through. Um, some others, they were still living, uh, in, in their minds, they were still living in the Mubarak era. They were afraid uh, to be targeted. Uh, so, I, you know, of course, you can't eliminate 30 years of repression within 18 days or years. Yeah. So there was some fear as well, too. Uh, I got turned down, and a lot of people, after they showed up for for the interview, uh, and we filmed, they kind of, like, uh, asked me not to be in the film because they were scared. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, we're talking about a, a revolution started in, uh, in, in January 25th, 2011, and Tomorrow, people are going to take to the street and try to replicate that, do another revolution uh, against Morsi and Ikhwan, that they're taking over Egypt and trying to have a really big hold on it and bring us back to Mubarak era, 
always a different name. Yeah, you're talking about tomorrow, tomorrow being January 25th, 2013. Yes. And boy, uh, since, since uh, January 25th, 2011, many, many things have changed. And I gather from what you're saying, Khaled, is that uh, maybe some of the optimism that uh, uh, people felt at the time uh, has maybe turned a little bit uh, sour? I think it's faded. People were really optimistic for, for a, a, a good change and new democracy. Uh, but you get to understand, uh, Egypt uh, has like 80 million people. Uh, the vast majority, yes, um, they are educated, uh, but we are suffering from illiteracy in Egypt. Um, and I'm not talking only the people who don't read or write because that's easy to manipulate. We're talking about the people who actually go to school and earn degree, but they still have no understanding of uh, critical thinking or understanding of political issues. Mm. So they're easy manipulated one uh, side or another. And of course, when you have God on your side as uh, Ikhwan, Uh, or the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you get to gain a lot of popularity um, through that. Yeah, because, I mean, this is something I wanted to get to eventually, of course, which is the current situation. And when we're talking about Muhammad Mursi, we're talking about somebody who uh, is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, he's been Muslim Brotherhood for, for years, and uh, we call him the Stipton. <laughs> What does that mean? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, he, he was not uh, thought after to be a president whatsoever. Khairat uh, al uh, they want him to be a president. He's somebody being very visible. He's been in detention too many times. Uh, a lot of people know about him and know of him. He's a businessman in Egypt. Uh, What was his name? Khairat. Al-Shatir. Okay. But when uh, the higher uh, court um, kind of disqualified him, like many other being disqualified to run for the president, uh, Ikhwan or the Muslim Brotherhood or MP or whatever you want to call them, uh, who promised during the revolution on tape, on TV, that they're not going to run for anything. They're not interested in politics. Right. They're interested in supporting democracy. Uh, they forced uh, or they put Mohammed Morsi uh, on, the uh, on the ballot. So that's why the Stipni thing, which is like, you know. The But so, so despite the, the substitute. Yeah, so despite the assurances that they weren't going to run, they actually did run? They did run in the parliament election and they won vast majority because they were using the same tactic that um, Mubarak and Mubarak party used to use in the 80s and the 90s, which is bribing people, giving people food and services for their vote. Wow. Um, sort of exploiting the, the poverty. Exactly. Maybe. And the same thing happened during Morsi election. Uh, a lot of people did not vote because uh, uh, the, sec uh, the final Uh, final runner, which was uh, Shafi and Mohamed Morsi, both were not wanted by the vast majority of Egyptian or activists. They're not interested in going back uh, to anybody from Mubarak era, which, uh, you know, represented in Ahmed Shafi. Or they didn't want anybody from uh, Muslim Brotherhood, uh, and they didn't know much about uh, Mohamed Morsi, really. Right. Um, so, I mean, was he... Um, 
like explicitly or was he openly saying that he was part of the Muslim Brotherhood when he was running or did it kind of come out after he'd been elected? No, no, it's, uh, it's evident. Everybody, everybody knew who's, who's Mohammed Morsi in, in, uh, in, you know, in, in Muslim Brotherhood. They know who he is and stuff, but, but, but they Egyptian have no political background. Right, but he, the Egyptian people knew that this guy was part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Oh, yeah, he was publicized and, uh, as, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood candidate. It wasn't, it was, right. There was no secret about that. Yeah, I'm asking you that because sometimes I get this feeling that people were, are really shocked that he turned out to be uh, repressive, you know, um, and, or that he was he's trying to censor and change, you know, uh, certain constitutional rules. And there's such a, uh, uh, an air of surprise that made me think that perhaps that was sort of undersold when and during no, his no, campaign. No. So I'm surprised that he was actually so explicitly uh, clear about his intention and that he still uh, won the vote. I understand that when, much. When you, when you look at the results, result of uh, the election, he only won by like 13 million. Egypt has 50 million people who are actually eligible to vote and they're old enough to vote and they're actually registered to vote. 50 million. Wow. 50-5-0. So half of that completely boycotted the election and we ended up with like 25 million who went and voted. Half of that uh, or a little bit more than half went for Mohamed Morsi. So it's like it's 13 million out of 50 million people wanted Mohamed Morsi to be a president. And, you know, it, it's okay to be educated and have PhD here and there, but you have to have some kind of a good cabinet mm -hmm. to help you to govern. Um, he, he doesn't. I think he's more of a preacher than than a political figure or a political person. Um, and we're seeing that uh, throughout uh, those six months he'd been uh, president. Yeah, because during those six months he's done some very repressive things and uh, taken some drastic measures that kind of counteract the whole spirit of the Egyptian revolution. Well, throughout his presidency, um, every time he will, he will do any kind of decision, uh, people kind of yell at him, he'll take it back. So he's kind of not very strong personality. And he being manipulated by the Muslim Brotherhood for the Muslim Brotherhood um, a benefit, you know, it doesn't seem like he's working for all all Egyptian. He's working for just one group of people, right. and that's not good. No, uh, because uh, is it true that uh, he is uh, imprisoning and um, and uh, you know uh, taking action against uh, journalists or others who criticized him? Oh yeah, absolutely. Him? There, there is cases after cases of people who criticize him uh, who are actually being um, in the process of a, a trial uh, with the constitution that the Egyptian people agreed on and I don't know why they agreed to it because there is a lot of amendment in it uh, that they disagree with each other it's very contradictory uh, so you will, you will see in one amendment saying that you have freedom of speech but you cannot do this and you cannot do that. You cannot speak against a prophet. And we have a Christian teacher because he mentions a prophet on his Facebook. He actually been in prison for six years. Wow. He sentenced for six years. 
just because he said something on his Facebook. Wow. So, but, but you know, sort of mentioning the Prophet or, or saying something against, you know, the Prophet Muhammad is one thing, but also being uh, imprisoned for saying something against Mursi, just yes, for simply, you know, saying I don't like him or I think he's a loser or whatever. I, I mean, something as, as harmless or as that that we take for granted maybe in the United States. I, I, I can uh, draw you an image right now, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not promoting any kind of religion, but uh, like in Islam, we don't have like a hierarchy like in, um, in Christianity, like, uh, well, not Christianity, Catholic, uh, Catholic. So you have the Pope, and under that's kind of, you know, trickle down to whatever. In Islam, we never have like one main head figure. Um, and that give people a lot of chances to elevate themselves to certain persona or certain, you know, uh, way. And we're seeing now a lot of people in the Muslim Brotherhood talking about Muhammad Morsi as he's like, you know, above us, above all of us, just because he's from Muslim Brotherhood and he prayed five times a day. I mean, who cares? Really, who cares? <laughs> no, because, you know, in some ways I am uh, saddened and disappointed by what I'm hearing. I mean, you're telling us the reality, and I'm really glad you are. But, you know, I think that the spirit uh, uh, that, uh, you know, after the fall of Mubarak and the kind of jubilation we felt, and, you know, it was this revolution that took, uh, that took place after the Tunisian revolution and led to uh, uprisings uh, all over the Arab world. I don't think we expected uh, t two years later to be looking at another kind of um, dictator. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it seems to me when you are, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, arresting people for uh, speaking their mind after a revolution that was fought in order to, to provide the, the every man with that right. Well, you see, d during, during Mubarak, uh, activists and people who wanted to speak out, journalists and anybody who wanted freedom of speech were faced with, like, the security forces, the private forces, or s uh, secret police. Um, after Mubarak, we were faced with the military. Mm -hmm. They were repressing people. Now we having somebody, um, and that, that happened last month in December when people went to uh, the presidential palace uh, to protest in pr 2011 to protest. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood called on their member to come and attack peaceful protester. Oh, wow. So are we, we are facing new kind of dictatorship here. Are, are, sorry, are we in December 2012? Yes. 12, not 2011, right. No, and, uh, yeah, so, so this is very recent. We're, you know, now January 2013. And uh, when you kind of look at the current situation, Khaled, how do you feel? Well, we get we gotta look at the whole picture. French Revolution took years to actually develop. Um, you you come to the Iranian Revolution, it did not develop very quickly all either. So it took a little time. And for Egypt, I I think we have a lot of work to do in Egypt, and all the activists they have a lot of work to do. Um, and I, 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 I don't think we have a complete revolution. We have a continuing revolution. We have to uprise against um, any other group, whether Muslim Brotherhood or Salafis or anybody from uh, Mubarak era, uh, 
to choose democratic Egypt. We want a democratic Egypt. We do not want a repressive regime. We had that for 30 years, over 30 years, and it did not work, and it's not working. So when you say that tomorrow, on the second anniversary of the revolution, people will be taking to the street and going to Tahrir Square again, yes. uh, this time they'll be speaking against Morsi? Yes, and actually when I was there in 2012, again, in 2012, in October, November, um, Morsi, when he was elected, he promised people after 100 days he will do this amazing work and he fixed Egypt in 100 days, which was like a very stupid promise. Well, maybe a realistic, uh, uh, well, from his, even from his point of view. Uh, well, let's show you how stupid he is. Um, <laughs> well, thank God, I'm in America, I can't say that. Exactly. But anyway, yeah, let's say it says it like it is, like yeah. he sticks it. Yeah, so he, he's really stupid. Uh, and um, on, uh, on the end of that 100 day, people protested in the street to ask him for what he promised, which he did not deliver at all. Uh, he, they were attacked by Muslim Brotherhood in Tahrir Square. Wow. Um, and then they had to do another protest the following week, and I, I attend both of them. And at that time, in October 2012, just a few hundred days after his election, uh, people were asking for him to go away, to step down. They want to bring him down. So you will hear tomorrow a lot of people chanting the same thing. We need to topple the regime because the regime is still the same. Yes, we removed Mubarak, but we got something worse, really. Muslim Brotherhood are not what you want to choose. Uh, for democratic Egypt, and uh, they said they're not interested in uh, in the Western democracy, or they don't they don't believe in democracy. Really, Morsi and his Morsi and his group. Yes, uh, it's very publicly said. It's not, you know, it's not a secret. Wow. You know, yeah, it's not wow. a secret. They're not interested in that. One of the things that I really find fascinating what you said, and I totally agree with you, uh, Khaled, is the fact that when people say, "Well, the Egyptian revolution, you know, d didn't lead to uh, democracy." As if the revolution end has ended, as if revolutions start on a Monday and end on a, on a Tuesday, or as if revolutions start in 2011 and by 2013 everything is supposed to be perfect. It is a process, isn't it, uh, Khalid? The revolution is still going on. The revolution is far from over and may take quite a bit, so it's kind of like a journey. And the current situation is only a stop or a transit stop on the way to what one would hope is a democracy. And I think it's a big enemy for for the activists and the people who are, who are looking to improve Egypt and bring it to, to this century is the illiteracy. Again, there is a lot of people who think they know and they have no idea about political science or political anything. Um, and there's, there's a lot of educating need to happen in order to bring these people to understand their right and what is it, what is important for them uh, to vote or not to vote and what is it important for them to vote for, for a constitution, referendum, parliament, because we are going to have another uh, parliament uh, election in a few months. That's what uh, Morsi promised because the old one was like, broke down by the high court. Oh, so he's going to, he's going to have to run again? 
the parliament. The oh, parliament, parliament need to run again. And of course, yeah, he have to run again because he have four years, and after the four years, you know. Oh, so it is like uh, with, uh, every four with years. With the tools we see Muslim Brotherhood using uh, during this election and uh, brainwash people and make them vote in certain way, it's the same tactic Mubarak used to use before. Do you think nothing changed? Yeah. Do you think that he's going to actually stay, you know, in his position for the four years? Or do you have a feeling that he's going to be displaced before the term is over? I think at, at this point, anybody to predict that it will be like, not, not yeah, right. Yeah, uh, we have to, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a really hard question. Yeah. I, I cannot predict that. Nobody predicted uh, the beginning of the Egyptian revolution. Nobody thought that we, sure. people will go on the street chanting Aish Horea, Adalek Tamaya, in the face of Mubarak dictatorship for 18 days till he left, you know. And I think the big mistake uh, is that for the Egyptian people, they left the square. They should have stayed till the whole system yeah. completely changed. And one of the biggest mistakes is that there was no leader to this revolution. There is no replacement to what's already installed under Mubarak. I mean, we, I remember Sidi Afwa'il name. You know, and people were kind of tossing his name around as if he could rise to political power somehow because uh, so much of the revolution was driven by the Internet, etc. This was never sort of a realistic... Uh, it's not realistic, and people... Uh, yes, the Internet was used as a really good tool, but uh, you can't have a revolution on the cyberspace. You have to have a physical space yeah. for people... To, to protest and be in. Um, and the definition of revolution is, is, is really a mass protest and mass participation of the people. Not only in not space, online. but physically. Yeah. And Tahrir be, uh, became the space, didn't it? It is. And when you see how people, I have witnessed many demonstrations in Egypt, and when you see how it actually developed from like 25 people in one neighborhood and start getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, in Norway to Tahrir Square till become like millions of people in that square. It's yeah. just absolutely amazing. Yes. You know, um, one one other thing in Egypt, like I, I showed my film stories from Tahrir in Egypt. That's your second documentary. That's my second documentary. I showed it in uh, last year, 2012 in October uh, in Cairo. And within 48 hours, uh, we put the event on Facebook and people showed up. I was really puzzled to, because screen, the film. to screen the film. Because Absolutely. like here in the in, in United States, you have to put the event in advance, sometimes a month in advance to kind of like keep people, you know, inform and email people and bug them till they actually accept that invitation. But in Egypt, within like, what, 48 hours? We showed over like 200 people wow. showed up to wow. see the screening of the film. Wow. So that's how it works. It's a whole different way how they use uh, social network in Egypt. Sure. So this film that's uh, complete and has been screened in Egypt has not screened in the U.S. yet? It has been screened in the U.S. actually and in uh, Silicon Valley, the African uh, Silicon Valley Film Festival. I won the best documentary. Uh, I was wow. in Egypt actually when they showed the film here Mabruk. in Silicon this Valley. Is the second that's the second documentary. Yes, because I was going to ask you about, about you know, all these prizes for the first 
first documentary. Now, can you mention to us something? There, there is no money attached to it. It's just honor. Well, I think it's something even more valuable than money. I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't going out to, to win a war. That was just, I want people to see what Egyptian people look like. Uh, because... Uh, and how they think and, you know... Uh, because Khaled, I mean, this was really your first major documentary that was really, you, ha you know, you, you kind of, you pride yourself on having uh, done it on, uh, you know, a low budget that you self-financed, and, and it went on to earn all these prizes. Um, that alone must give you a sense of satisfaction. Yeah, I feel great. Yeah. I feel great. Can you tell, <laughs> tell me some of the awards here? I was trying to, to read them. Uh, you know, what, which, which one are you um, So we're talking about the first one or the second well, one? I, I mean, start with the first one, because that one, I mean, when I started to read the, the list of awards, I, you know, I, I, I had to go through pages here. Uh, which <laughs> one meant the most to you? Well, let's not put it that way, but let's say, you know, which, um, um, which one did you feel so? They're all like, like my kids and my loves and my blah, 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 blah. I think, I think what... Uh, you should be a diplomat now. I know. Well, I think, I think the, the biggest award is, uh, is the one when people actually come to your film, stay from beginning to end, and stay like half an hour after the film asking you questions and show interest in what you're doing. Because if you're doing anything artistic and people just walk by it and not notice it, that's like a big failure, in my opinion, I, I think. But when you see people interested in it and they're talking about it and uh, they're engaged, uh, I think that's like the biggest award ever. Yeah, so I think part of it also is that Khaled Sayed, uh, the award-winning documentary of, uh, director of uh, the, the, uh, of the uh, film that we're talking about, which is the first one at this point, Khaled, Egypt. Uh, the story uh, behind the revolution. The story behind the revolution. Now, I'm going to just put myself out there and say it for you, Khaled. I mean, it, it has won. It was the official selection at the Independence Film Festival in uh, 2011. Uh, it was also an official selection for the Global Peace uh, Film Festival. It was the uh, official uh, selection. I mean, you're making me do this, Khaled, because you're too <laughs> modest. Uh, you know, at the Global Wake Up Film Festival, the Global uh, the Middle East Studies Association Film Festival. It was an official selection for all sorts of festivals. I could go on here for I quite know, a while. I, I mean, I would really love to show the first and second film again and again and again and I, uh, I'm actually booked to show the film in um, uh, Berkeley University, UC Berkeley, UC Berkeley uh, yeah. this, uh, this spring spring right right, right, right. next quarter <laughs> and uh, also at uh, uh, Sacramento University and I will be happy to show it in Stanford if you sure. can give me some connection here <laughs> sure sure we, we, we should talk about maybe at, uh, scheduling a screening here and I think that maybe the idea of playing both documentaries sort of like to see how it was in 2011 and then the, the second documentary I think that would be great uh, you know sort of back to back with a little maybe break in between yeah because um, Egypt's the story behind the revolution was really about the revolution how it went down. Uh, stories from Tahrir was like post-revolution. Okay, so we, we removed the guy, the bad guy. What happened? Yeah. What happened after that? Do you foresee a trilogy? I do. I think you're going to be doing a third part I'm, and maybe a fourth. I'm actually working on uh, on another film uh, related to the Middle East, which is uh, Women Right in the Middle East, because we seem 
to see that women right kind of like being stepped on left and right uh, and especially when when you have uh, Islamist in power which is really sad because like uh, again I'm not promoting any kind of religion here uh, but in Islam uh, women have a lot of rights but culturally in Egypt, these rights are not being practiced. Right. And I again, I blame it on illiteracy and culture and how people used to do things instead of understanding their own religion. So whereas Egypt, uh, uh, behind the revolution, uh, sorry, say that the title one more time for me. Egypt, the story behind the revolution. The story behind the revolution. Uh, so that one is the one that's available online. The second one, which is the more recent one, is I'm the working one you're on distribution, yes. yes. So, uh, that yes. is not available online and is not available in sort of a, a commercial DVD release. Mm, uh, not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Is the first one available uh, uh, commercially on DVD? Yes. Yes, for uh, academic price and stuff. I'm, I'm still working on a distribution to, to put it on uh, Amazon.com and stuff. Absolutely amazing. I have with me in the studio, ladies and gentlemen, live in person, Khaled Sayed, director of the first award-winning documentary about the 2011 Egyptian Revolution, taking us through uh, his experience uh, in uh, March 2011 through today. And uh, this uh, amazing young man is actually uh, multi-talented. He is a director, he is an editor, and uh, I believe uh, he's also has some background in law, and uh, we'll be asking him about that. He's giving me a smile there. I don't know if he wants to go there, but just an indication of how multi-talented this young man is. Uh, we'll be back after the break to speak to Khaled a little bit more about uh, his uh, film and uh, his uh, second documentary, as well as uh, ask him some questions that I think are on all our minds when we talk about the current situation in Masr and Egypt. You're listening to the Arabology Show coming to you from KZSU Stanford, 94.1 FM. I'm your DJ Ramsey. I'll be with you for another hour right here. And a very special salam and uh, marhaba to uh, Samar Ahmad, who is uh, gracing uh, KZSU today with her uh, magnetic presence. Samar Ahmad, for those people who may not know, is the Fulbright, is a Fulbright scholar from Egypt who heard uh, that uh, Khaled uh, Sayyid was going to be here, and of course, in uh, uh, in an attempt at uh, well, I'm going to say fraternity and uh, and uh, loyalty. Yeah, I uh, guess I have my groupie here. <laughs> you, you, I think you have more than one, uh, and I think you can add me and uh, of course our amazing assistant Ahmad here to to the group. Uh, correct, Ahmad? Of course. Uh, Definitely. Definitely. Thank you, Zan. Let's say it. Thank you, guys, for having me. And, 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 and hopefully someone will also be uh, speaking during my show one of these weeks. I'm trying to convince her to, to sit with me and uh, go on the air live and speak about her experience because I don't know if you know this, uh, Khalid, but someone was also there during the uh, revolution. We could get also her her uh, take on things uh, in the in the future. She, I don't think she's very quite ready to, to go on the air today, Khalid, despite your very kind gesture for her to come share the spotlight with you today. Khaled Sayyid, time passes so quickly with you. I'm going to go to another song from the uh, that fueled the Egyptian revolution, this time by Mustafa Saeed. It's called Ya Masar Hanit Wibanit. And uh, we'll be back uh, to speak to Khaled Sayyid for his last segment here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM.
يا صبح طلعت رحنا لجل تيجي يا خيم طلع نجيبها اهو في كل حارة وحي حتى ولو ضربونا بالرصاص الحي حتى ولو ضربونا بالرصاص الحي شوف المداين كده مفروشة خلق وضي دايما مفاجأة ودايما ودها معلوم الحكم لينا وليك الحق يا مداين يا مصر هانت وبانت كلها كم يوم نهارنا نادي ونهار النادل مش باين
بصرة ولا خوف ولا خفرع ولا وجع بطني تعالج بزيت خروع عمل مصوغر ما يدعمنك ولا يطلع جربنا في كل شيء ما لقينا شيء ينفع عمل مصوغر بعيد عنك ولا يطلع جربنا في كل شيء ما لقينا شيء ينفع ما طلعش بالأدوية جربنا ألف طبيب ولا بعد طارد شيوخ ليهم بلح وزبيب ما طلعش بالأدوية جربنا ألف طبيب ولا بعد طارد شيوخ ليهم بلح وزبيب ولا بجحف المغول وضرب بالأبائيب ولا بجحف المغول وضرب بالأبائيب عمل مسوجر وسفلي شغل تل أبي وشغل أمريكا متغلف وختمه عليه تفزرنا يا عم من غير دعوة لا بسبيب قعد تلاتين سنة ما بيقولش قاعد ليه قعد تلاتين سنة ما بيقولش قاعد ليه والنية يديها لابنه النبي غاب عاديه ويقول قضى وقدر بين البشر محكوم ويقول قضى وقدر بين البشر محكوم قلنا له طيب ومن اهل القدر معلوم وشرفك يا فخمتك بالذي كاين قلنا له طيب ومن اهل القدر معلوم وشرفك يا فخمتك بالذي كاين يا مصر بانت وبانت كلها كم يوم نهارنا نادي ونهار الندل
It is uh, 4.12 p.m. right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I'm your DJ Ramsey. The show is Arabology. And my guest on this very special edition of Arabology, which commemorates the second year anniversary of the Egyptian Revolution, has been uh, the amazing Khalid Sayyid, uh, documentary filmmaker, director, editor, and I hear lawyer, Khalid, Yes. So how, how did that come about? Uh, well, uh, my dad worked in the military, and uh, he won't let me go to the uh, art school. Really? This is back in Egypt? This is back in Egypt, because in his mind, you have to have an actual degree, and if you want to learn art later on, just go and do it after you earn your degree. So I chose to go to uh, law school. In, in, in Egypt, and I graduated from there, Ayn Shams University, but along my four years of college, I did study Middle East uh, history at American University in Cairo, I did study graphic design, and uh, that's why, I mean, I always wanted to do art stuff, and I think my documentary have a different voice, which is like a post-narrative uh, documentary. Um, and I'm looking at it as an, an art project, not just a film. Because do you think that your uh, experience in the law and at law school informed your documentary? Do you feel, I mean, I would think it would be a fantastic way to uh, apply some of what you've learned there, because if nothing else, you know things about uh, the legal system in Egypt that the, the average documentary filmmaker would never be able to know. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, I'm, uh, y you don't want to argue with me <laughs> because I can always win. I'm kidding, no, of course I can lose. Uh, but I mean, you know, the, the art of rhetoric, uh, you learn that in school and reading a lot, that's, that's a good thing to, to know. Right. Know your right, know your the law, that's, that's, that's all this basic stuff you learn in, uh, in law school. You know? Because, you know, I guess uh, I was phrasing my question in a way that uh, sort of, uh, you know, juxtaposed the law with, you know, filmmaking. But, uh, but I was, what I was trying to think of, uh, say, upon second thought is that they really can be mutually enriching. Oh, so that yeah. uh, your career in law puts you in a very unique position to film things uh, happening currently. Like when, you were, when we were speaking about the elections and such, uh, you know, yours truly over here, like most uh, um, Americans or Arab Americans who are watching this on TV uh, and through the Internet, uh, aren't quite uh, familiar with the legal system, you know, how, how are people running, uh, you know, how long is the term, what, is it, what exactly is the House of Parliament, etc. That kind of stuff you understand. Yes. Yes. And uh, yes. And I voted for Obama twice, so that will tell you a lot. Because you are Egyptian and you are American, so you yes, can, I vote. Am. can you vote in both uh, countries? Uh, well, I actually boycotted. It. I know you. A lot of uh, a lot of listener will be kind of angry at me, but I mean, I did boycott the elections in Egypt, all of them, because you cannot have a voice. You cannot go to the voting booth when you don't have any rights, when you have the wrong people in the system, you know. The same system Mubarak installed over 30 years is still there, still live and well. You cannot go 
and vote for somebody like Morsi or anybody else knowing that the election being rigged or people being manipulated in a certain way. But, uh, did, I mean, who was the contender? Who was the second uh, or the person that ran against Morsi uh, other than Morsi uh, who came Second. I think they're all bozos. None of them were really a serious cont a contender or somebody who were actually will change Egypt. The only one I, I believed in was Muhammad al-Baradai, Dr. Muhammad al-Baradai. But he understood under the circumstances of this presidential election, he cannot win. Nobody can. But he ran anyway? He did not run. He no. actually dropped his um, his candidacy uh, a couple of months before, and he said he won't run. He's not interested in doing that because it's a, he saw the game, and he saw all this deal yeah. being cut left and right. Uh, I mean, when you, when you see Muslim Brotherhood being above any other party, have more money coming from the Arab Gulf, and I'm not going to say who, but I mean Saudi Arabia came to mind, and Qatar, and Emirates, to support them, but they were the one who were pointing the finger to uh, 6th of, um, uh, of April movement, saying that they're getting money from the United States, which they didn't, and if you are during the parliament election seeing uh, the brochure, the, the, the sign that was printed for Muslim Brotherhood versus uh, the people who were running for a smaller group like uh, the 6th of uh, April movement, you clearly can see who has the money and who controlling the situation. You know, in Muslim Brotherhood, you get people who have like a whole... A uh, big apartment building completely covered from bottom up uh, of like you know sign and and they're giving people food and money mm. to go and vote. Uh, vote for them, yeah, obviously. but to vote for them and um, they, they they promise the Egyptian people that they're not interested in more than forty percent of the seat in the parliament and they won. 60%, wow. and they were controlling the whole parliament. So you felt disillusioned at the time when Morsi was running, and you felt that there was no serious contender that you believed in, so you boycotted the whole election mm, yes, altogether. Yes. Do you think you're going to vote in the next uh, election, or and depends on who's running? Unless we actually remove the whole regime of Mubarak, because it's still there. We have a lot of people now, the people from National Democratic Party, uh, grow appeared and now they call themselves Muslim Brotherhood awesome. and you know so the, the status quo is still the same we cannot vote under the circumstances mm -hmm. but the revolution goes on as we said it's far from over yes and uh, this is uh, sort of a transit stop uh, on the way to hopefully a uh, kind of a democracy eventually I'm hoping I'm hoping because I mean Muslim Brotherhood uh, absolutely they're not the answer they're failing on every uh, issue they're failing failing in uh, social uh, uh, employment uh, everything I mean I was there in, in October and a garbage issue in Egypt is just like it's completely staggering and they're not doing anything about it right. unemployment rate the is just crazy there's a lot of trash everywhere it's not yeah. so good for the, the police is still yeah the police none of that has been sort of tackled no, by the tackled or sold, uh, sold at all uh, yeah. the gas prices uh, going up and down and sometimes you can't even find it uh, the, the currency inflation is just like I can't go on and on with all this issue
issues that Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood or Morsi can take one of these issues and start fixing it. But he's not. He's refusing to do that. And he's not speaking out about any of the issues that we're facing, people dying in a train crash, and he won't comment on it at all. Uh, you will see him uh, getting busy with, uh, with Palestine issue instead of the Egyptian issues, that he can work on it and he can get people behind him. But he's, as I said, he's just not that smart. On the other hand, uh, Khaled Sayed, we take comfort in knowing that you are are there to document these things and to film them. Uh, Khaled, as a last question about this uh, whole experience of filming these two documentaries, uh, I mean, do, do you feel that because you're speaking against the system right now that you might be um, uh, you might encounter trouble if you return to Egypt to continue filming? Um, I, I think, yes, a lot of my friend and the people who I talked to, they encountered a lot of troubles. They've been through military uh, trials. They've been through imprisonment uh, and targeting. Um, I, I, at this point, I really don't care. Uh, I'm out there, and, you know, if, if they want to do something, I I, I I'm hoping that they can't, but yeah. you know. Well, it, it does take courage and it does take time and it does take determination. Khaled, I, I know we just met today, but already I have uh, developed quite a bit of sense of uh, admiration for you and for the courage that you exhibit in uh, highlighting your point of view and in speaking so candidly about a situation that I think we don't know enough about in uh, the United States these days. So your presence today in the studio has been an honor and I don't, I'd never asked you the, what you thought about the kind of music we were using in uh, uh, in between your segments. I want to remind everybody out there that we uh, heard right before Khaled's third segment here, the third part of his interview, we heard uh, Maryam singing Watan al-Aq. Before that, it was Dunya Masoud singing Mish Aib Aleki. And we began the set with uh, Mustafa Sayyid and Ya Masr Hanit, we ban it. And uh, so we went from that to Dunya Masoud. What did you think of the music, and is are there any musicians that you would uh, advise us here at KZSU to go check out in terms of the Egyptian Revolution? Uh, it's amazing how the Egyptian Revolution actually influenced and inspired people. Uh, there is a lot of artists, and it come to mind Ahmed Rock. He's, uh, he's uh, originally from uh, Alexandria, and he has won a lot of awards. He's, uh, he's a rapper in Egypt, and he only... Um, his music uh, subject uh, mostly political, and it's really amazing. And I used one of his track in one of my films. Oh, really? Yeah, and he's he's such an amazing guy. Does and he really sing like in him. English or in Arabic? He's singing in Arabic. In Arabic, nice. In Arabic. But, nice. Uh, it's, uh, good for uh, Arabology. Yeah, <laughs> Arab in, uh, Arabic and uh, rap Arabic, oh, wow. uh, Egyptian flavor, and you, you, you get the really sense of... Um, uh, bride and greatness absolutely. His voice. and his name Ahmad Rock like rock and roll Ahmad yeah, Rock yeah absolutely Ahmad rock. and he rocks uh, <laughs> and Ahmad Rock rocks he rocks he big rocks time right? really <laughs> like yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. one last thing uh, and I promise to let you go you mentioned this um, this shi'ad this um, I guess uh, slogan 
Korea. You mentioned it when we were ha doing the Asia, Korea, Adelaide, Maya. Exactly. You mentioned that. I think at some point I've made a mental note to say, well, for our listeners out there, you know, you said it in Arabic, in Arabic, and we never translated it. Can you translate that oh, yeah. for uh, Aish, which means bread, or you can say living, either way. The word itself, it's kind of, you know, it has two meanings. Aish is bread or living. Uh, freedom, Horea. Ada uh, like Maya, which is social justice and uh, social freedom. Wow! And is that what they're going to be chanting tomorrow? That's in what they have on the second. They have been the... chanting that since two. Uh, I mean, 2004 and even before. But I mean, it was really evident in uh, two, um, uh, January 25th in 2011. That was like the one slogan that. Uh, brought everybody together because that slogan is really, really speak to every Egyptian. Well, here I'm going to say it. Aish, Horea, Adalala, We can do a duo sometime, Khaled. Though I don't think you want to hear me sing. You would be running out of the campus and never return. Khaled Sayed, shukran jazilan wa merci beaucoup. Toda, gracias, grazie. I don't know if there are enough languages to express how much this interview has meant for me. Thank you so much for coming in on the eve of the second anniversary of the Egyptian Revolution, sharing with us uh, your views, your eyewitness account, reminding us that the revolution is far from over, reminding people maybe not to give up and not to uh, think that this is uh, the end of the road, and also bringing us through film documentaries that I myself found uh, amazing, and I look forward to uh, screening or watching the new one, uh, and also the uh, future ones, including the ones about uh, women's rights in the Arab world, which is another issue that uh, I hold dear to my heart. Khaled Sayyid, shukran. Thank you for having me. And inshallah, we'll see you again here at KZSU. Absolutely. If you invite me, I will come. It's an open invitation, Khaled Sayyid. I'm going to leave you with the uh, Palestinian group DAM, D-A-M, and a sort of a revolutionary song of their own. This is part of the soundtrack that has been fueling this episode of Arabology, where we've been playing uh, music that goes along with the Arab Spring soundtrack. Uh, and uh, this uh, kind of music has been from all over the Arabic-speaking world, with maybe a special emphasis on Egypt today due to my special guest, Khaled Sayyid. Uh, here is Dam, after which uh, we'll uh, continue till 5 p.m. right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. <laughs> Let's
was uh, Tunisian singer Amal Mathluthi, and from her album Kilmiti Hurra, we heard the title track. Uh, that whole album actually uh, titled Kilmiti uh, Hurra, My Word is Free or Free Speech, uh, is actually a very revolutionary album that came uh, after the Tunisian Revolution. Amal uh, Mathluthi is actually uh, uh, living in Tunisia and in France uh, these days, and her album has received much critical acclaim all over the West and the East. Before that, ladies and gentlemen, we heard from the Palestinian hip-hop group DAM, D-A-M, and a song called Street Poetry that was taken from their album Depke on the Moon. So uh, there we go. Uh, the, this is the Arabology Show, and I'm your DJ Ramsey. I'll be with you today until 5 p.m., and I'm with you every Thursday from 3 to 5 p.m. Feel free to check out the uh, show's Facebook page at uh, www.facebook.com slash Arabology. Uh, I uh, would welcome your uh, thoughts on today's episodes, including my interview with uh, director, editor, lawyer, uh, filmmaker, uh, multi-talented Khaled Sayed, who was my special guest uh, for today's episode of Arabology. I hope you'll tune in every week from 3 p.m. till 5 p.m. to listen to uh, music and commentary from and about the Arab world, a region that is often so misunderstood and demonized, unfortunately, but which continues to revolt, to change, and to bring with it cultural exchanges that not too many people are aware of. The uh, point of Arabology every week is to bring you a different view and different side to a region that is so often misunderstood. And speaking of uh, different and uh, surprising uh, things from the region, uh, not too many people associate rock and roll with the Middle East and specifically with uh, the country Jordan. However, there is a band called Jadal uh, that comes from Jordan and that certainly are creating what I can only call Arabic rock and roll. They do so brilliantly on their new album titled El Makina and uh, will be uh, playing the title track, El Makina the Machine, uh, in uh, in a moment. Okay, here is Jadal. We're prepared to rock. Are you prepared to rock, Ahmad Al Qusi? Of course. You've heard of Jadal? Yes, I'm fan of them. And I should say, actually, shukran to you for being an amazing uh, assistant today. I don't think the show would have gone on half as well without you. I, I tried my best. Uh, yeah, despite that, that we, we had we had some glitches, but we 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 did it. We did it exactly. And my best, very special thanks to Sadie also, who provided me with the uh, soundtrack to uh, or to a brand new album, which provided the soundtrack, the Rough Guide to Arabic Revolution. Check out that CD because it's got sort of a, a mixture of different Arabic singers and Arab singers who are singing about uh, the revolutions going on uh, in uh, that part of the world. Okay, enough speaking. Let's go to the music. Here is some Arabic rock and roll. Shadal, the title track, The Machine, El Makina. <laughs>
Like what you are hearing? Help make sure KZSU can continue providing great programs without commercials to listeners all over the Bay Area. Donate to KZSU. For more information, email our underwriting department at underwriting at kzsu.stanford.edu or call us at 650-723-9010 and don't forget to keep on listening. The show is like Herbology and I am your DJ Ramsey. I come to you every Thursday from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And uh, with the show that attends to take you all over the Arab-speaking world uh, and uh, the Arabic-speaking world, that is. And uh, today's uh, special edition was dedicated to the second anniversary of uh, the Egyptian Revolution and that would be tomorrow, January 25th, 2013. We've just uh, finished listening to that beautiful instrumental by Tawfiq Farooq. It's called uh, Side Story, taken from his Cinema Beirut album. Before that, it was the Jordanian rock group, uh, Jadal, and a song called El Makina. El Makina in, in, in Arabic means the machine. And it's a great album if you uh, enjoy rock and roll. I want to hear a different twist uh, to it. Uh, I have a few minutes left here, ladies and gentlemen, on my show before uh, DJ Emma uh, takes over the airwaves with uh, her show uh, called Sunflower Sutra. And uh, DJ Emma chooses songs that fit within different themes every week. This week is no exception. She chooses songs and themes uh, varying from colors and flowers to death. Ah, mostly a range of rock with some surprises mixed in. So stay tuned for her show following mine right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Hey Stanford students. Hey Stanford students. How would you like to have a free bike safety road show at your next storm meeting? Hear essential life-saving information about life bike saving. safety at Stanford, including the rules of the road while riding, how to avoid a citation such as the $164 fine for running a stop sign on your bike, the latest facts about how bike helmets protect your brain, your tips brain. for safely locking your bike, free mini bike tune-ups and raffle prizes. Plus bike registration for a very modest fee. To sign up your dorm, visit bike.stanford.edu. The show is uh, coming to a close. The Herbology Show that is with yours truly, DJ Ramthi. Thank you for joining me this week. And I'm going to end with a very special track because the whole soundtrack to the Arab Spring and the uprising in Tunisia started with uh, this guy. His name is El General. And his uh, song criticizing uh, the president in Tunisia at the time fueled the beginning of the uh, revolution in Tunis and Tunisia, which led, of course, to uh, subsequent revolutions all over the Arab-speaking world. So how befitting is it to end my show today, Arabology, with the guy that started it all. His name is El General, and uh, this is uh, not the track that started it all, but rather a new track featuring Mr. Schuma. It's called State of the Nation, and with that, I'll say uh, goodbye, salamu alaikum, au revoir, and thank you for listening in. Stay tuned, of course, for, to, uh, for DJ Emma and Sunflower Sutra uh, in a few minutes right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM.